0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 7 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jesse Friedman, along with my co-host, Jeff Weiser. And Jeff, of course, as always, here on the Rattle, we're going to jump into the latest events of the 2019 Arizona Diamondbacks. But before we do, I think it's only fitting that we recognize what happened 21 years ago today. So... If you do the math, we're talking about May the 28th of 1998, that's the Diamondbacks inaugural season, and what happened on this day that was significant, you might have seen this floating around on Twitter today, um, I know I did, that's how I originally came to uh, to uh, see this moment. Um, but basically what happened is Barry Bonds was at the plate. This was one of the most famous moments of Barry Bonds' career. Of course, 2001 was a season when he put up absolutely ridiculous numbers and he was at the plate with the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning. There were two outs in this situation. The Diamondbacks led this game eight to six and they elected Jeff to intentionally walk Barry Bonds, forcing in a run. It made the game eight to seven. The Diamondbacks did go on to win this game because the next hitter lined out, so it worked. But Jeff, this is by then manager Buck Showalter, probably one of the boldest moves that you have ever seen a manager make in MLB history.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's almost unreal. But at the same time, like the minute you said that it happened to Barry Bonds, I just am like, well, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> it's just like, hmm, do I want to do I want him to score one run here, or do I want him to score you know two or three or four? So yeah, we'll just we'll just limit it to one.
0: Barry Bonds. I, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I know for a fact that two thousand one I think might have been the best season of his career. His numbers that year were just completely ridiculous, and it was it was a time when you literally felt that you had a better chance to win the game. With two outs and the bases loaded, you had a better chance to win the game by putting Barry Bonds on, forcing in that run, and getting the next guy. That is that is how good of a hitter Barry Bonds was at that stage in his career. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into the 2019 Arizona Diamondbacks. But this is the anniversary day of that moment. I think it's pretty interesting. Definitely one of the most famous moments of Barry Bonds' career, and, and, and something that a lot of people. Uh, don't know, me included, prior to today, is that that moment actually uh, was, was really fostered by the Arizona Diamondbacks and Buck Showalter who, who put that in, uh, into action. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into the 2019 Diamondbacks. Uh, since our last recording on Friday, the Diamondbacks shellacked the San Francisco Giants um, at Oracle Field over the weekend. They outscored the Giants 34-8. to 8 Over the course of a three-game sweep, Um, this team has, frankly, Jeff, been pretty hard to figure out. The Diamondbacks, we talked about it in our last show, couldn't seem to buy a run uh, against the San Diego Padres at Petco, and then they moved on to San Francisco. Something clicked. The offense figured things out. Yesterday in Coors Field, uh, the story basically shifted around once again, uh, and it was of course, very unexpected. Being in an environment like Coors Field, you figure if you're scoring 34 runs in three games in San Francisco, you could probably score 40 runs in Coors Field. But that was not the story. As the Diamondbacks lost a tough one yesterday, four to three. Jeff, this team seems to be, if nothing else, remarkably inconsistent.
1: Yeah, that's that's the name of the game to me. Um, you know, trying to figure out what team's going to show up each and every day has been really difficult to uh sort of decipher and it just seems like you know I think you nailed it like it seems like you know every time out it seems like they could score double digit runs and then there are days where it just is like you know the well is completely dry and they can't seem to buy a hit um you know when they really need it so it's it's been really really challenging and I think you know for people like us it's made it really difficult to decide just how good this team is it's um you know we remarked on it on Friday that, you know, they are winning big and losing by a little. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how much you lose by if you lose. So uh, the, the losses have, have kind of piled up. You know, they were 500. They, you know, just blew out the Giants and then, you know, kind of padded the record and then dropped one to the Rockies who, you know, looking at the standings are, you know, uh, maybe sort of slowly, you know, climbing their way up. Um you know, they're five and five over their last 10 games, but the D backs are four and six. And, you know, they're really not too far off the Diamondbacks' pace. They're only two games behind. And so the rest of the series becomes really important, kind of with the pecking order of the division. San Diego's, you know, holding tough. They're right there. And so it's really sort of this like three team race to see, you know, who can be relevant in the division. You know, obviously looking well up at the Dodgers, but, you know, someone's going to want to fight for one of those wild-card spots. And, the Diamondbacks have been in a great position to do so, but they're just really, really struggling to uh, you know, put together any kind of consistency, and that's just been, been awfully frustrating.
0: I know you made uh, a joke about this on Twitter, that the Diamondbacks, over the course of that blowout series in San Francisco, really did pad their Pythagorean win-loss, uh, which for those of you who don't know, that's basically your projected record based on your run differential. And the Diamondbacks right now sits at 32-22 for them. So that is the expected record that a team that has scored the amount of runs the Diamondbacks have and allowed the number of runs the Diamondbacks have. That is the record that a mathematical system would would predict that they would have. The Diamondbacks, of course, at 28-26, fall four games below that. Jeff, when you look at 32-22, do you see the math behind that as being actually you know, uh, actually representative of, of where the Diamondbacks legitimately are as a team, or do you think 32 and 22 is, is unrealistic for this team and that run differential is really more just the result of the Diamondbacks having some games like they did in San Francisco where they completely blew out the opposing team?
1: Yeah, I think that's really hard to say that they're a 32 and 22 caliber club with some of the struggles we've seen, you know, of late, you know, with the bullpen and, and some of the issues that they've had, um, I also, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording, but there is, um, you know, Pythagorean record itself, you know, is kind of a, you know, perhaps a uh, flawed um, framework. But, uh, you know, it's probably even more flawed today in the run environment that we have with teams scoring so many runs. I mean, it's really easy. You know, the Dimebacks are actually just a great case for this, right? As a, a team that can, like, pile up some big run totals against a team with a poor pitching staff. Um You know, and so that kind of, that that may inflate the Pythagorean record a bit. So that'd actually be a pretty fun thing to look into and see because, I mean, um, like a team like the Reds, I mean, the Reds have not been a good baseball team this year, but they've actually, you know, according to the Pythagorean record, underperformed by six games where the Diamondbacks are at four. So, I mean, there's just some really extreme swings in here, and I think that's probably related to just the really extreme uh, run scoring environment that we have in baseball, but you know, they've, they've probably got a few too many issues uh, to be 32 and 22 right now. Maybe maybe 30 and 24 that, that base run suggests might be a little more accurate.
0: The Diamondbacks have, have really struggled as of late in these close games. This is something we've talked about in the show uh, in the past. This is something that I tweeted out. The Diamondbacks over their last 13 games that have been decided by three runs or less are 2 and 11, including losing their last nine consecutive such games. Jeff, yeah. once again, we've we've tried to analyze this as best we can. We've talked about how not all one-run games or, or close games in general created the same. It, it's pretty hard to pinpoint really any particular characteristics of a team that's, that's going through something like what the Diamondbacks are going through right now. Do you have anything that, that you can pull from something like that?
1: I think it's a, I think it's really difficult. I mean, I think, I think we're kind of where we end up is, you know, I mean, in a sense it gets easier to analyze the bigger the sample gets. The bad news is that's more like one run losses. So, um, you know, a big sample is not exactly what you're looking for there, but, um, you know, as we saw, you know, as we saw yesterday with, the the bullpen just kind of having that meltdown after, you know, Granky was really good again, they're probably just, uh, you know, an arm or two short in the bullpen and, I think the bullpen, you know, kind of as a, you know, as big league bullpens go, is probably pretty middle of the road, Um, you know, maybe just a tick below that. Um, From a result standpoint, from a talent standpoint, they're probably just kind of, you know, middling bullpen. But, you know, um, it's it's like they really need that person that can just come in and be the stopper. Um, You know, Harano got himself into a mess. Chafin didn't help matters by walking the only batter he faced. You know, and turning to Archie Bradley, you know, ended up biting the Diamondbacks, you know, um, as, as Arenado put some runs on the board. So it's it's a really, really difficult spot to be in. You have to be able to turn to somebody. And I mean, if, you know, you, you would think maybe heading into the season that Hirano was a guy you could turn to, um, he struggled. Uh, you know, Chapin as a guy you can turn to, You know, he's always a little erratic. Um, Bradley as a guy you can turn to, not this year. Uh, and then then you start going deeper, right? I mean, do you really want to put Yon Lopez in that position? I know his results have been good, but sometimes the, the way he gets there has been a little shaky. Um, you know, maybe you turn to a guy like Jimmy Sherfy is, is that who you want to, to really put that opportunity on? I don't know. I'm just kind of I'm, I'm coming up short in terms of looking for guys that I'd have a lot of confidence in right now to, to get you out of a situation like that.
0: I think all of that points to this this larger reality with the Diamondbacks and something that I really realized, I know I've probably noted this on the show in the past, but something that really stood out to me watching yesterday's game is that it has been a really, really long time since the Diamondbacks have had that kind of guy in the bullpen who year in and year out you knew was going to be just a dominant force at the back end of your bullpen. And I think we all thought that Archie Bradley two years ago was about to develop into that guy. And then the second half of last season plus this season, heck, he's got a whip right now of, of almost 1.9, which is unheard of for for any pitcher in, in baseball, much less your your back-end relief pitcher. This has turned into a serious problem for the Diamondbacks where they just year in and year out seem to be living on on you know guys like brad boxberger fernando rodney this year it's greg holland guys who they're kind of moving through one year at a time with the closer role and then all of these middle relievers just seem to be uh, inconsistent at best where, where one season they look great the next season not so much and jeff i know you you did a little bit of research into the diamondbacks uh the the with the kind of relievers they've had over the course of their franchise history. And and frankly, the results of that are are not horribly pretty.
1: No, it's really, it's really not very good. Um, It just seems to be a place where, where they've lacked uh, more often than not. And, you know, just looking back at like the team totals for, um, for, for war uh, for relievers. And I'm, I'm always skeptical of using war on relievers. It's, it's, it's a pretty flawed measure, but for a shorthand, it's, it's what I'll reference here. Um, they have the the 28th most WAR uh, for from the bullpen from relievers uh, since the inception of the franchise. So Oof. they rank 28th out of 30 clubs. Um, only the Cardinals and Tigers have been worse, uh, and like teams like the Yankees, uh, the A's have more than double. Uh, you know, war from the bullpen uh, than the Dimebacks have since they since they really began. And, I mean, it kind of prompted me to look up, like, well, who are the best relievers they've ever had? And, I mean, the best guys they've really had are young, know, young Kim, Jose Valverde, and J.J. Putz. But those guys, I mean, Kim was worth five war in his time at the Dimebacks. Valverde was worth almost five. Putz was worth less than three. Andrew Chatham has the fourth most war of any reliever for the Diamondbacks all time. Oh, dear. Um, that that tells me something because Andrew Chafin, while he can be very effective at times, is a very like limited reliever. And for him to be the fourth most valuable guy in franchise history really tells you something. And When Chafin, Bradley, Brad Ziegler, David Hernandez are among your very best relievers all time, um, that tells me you haven't had a lot of dominant relievers.
0: I think a lot of people have also brought into question here, more referring to this season, that maybe those relief pitchers have not been necessarily put in the best position to succeed. There was a lot of pushback, especially last night with the Diamondbacks 4-3 loss to the Rockies where Archie Bradley was brought in to face Nolan Arenado with bases loaded in two outs. Of course wound up giving up a, a two run single to Arenado that ultimately brought the game into extra innings where the Diamondbacks yeah. eventually lost 4-3. to three. Uh, from, from my standpoint, I, I very much understand fans who are, who are looking at that move by Tori Lovello and, and saying, okay, you've talked in the past about how you're not going to put Archie Bradley in those situations, at least not to the extent that you have in the past. And yet there he is, that same guy that we've seen struggle in so many big yeah. moments this season, winds yeah. up in that exact same position. Yohan Lopez was still out there in the bullpen. Obviously, I don't, I don't think uh, either of us are particularly in love with Yohan Lopez as an elite reliever at this point in his career, maybe at some point down the road. I don't think he's there yet. But the Diamondbacks, do you think, Jeff, do you think they had a better option than, than going to Archie Bradley in that situation?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think at that point, um, you know, Tori's got the notebook and the iPad. I mean, he's, he's well aware of, you know, what the matchup says. And so, um, we may hear that he wants to go away from using Archie in those kinds of spots. But at the same time, the data may tell him that Archie is really the best, uh, the best option there. Um, I I don't know that, but that may be a possible explanation. Um
0: I do know that following Arenado's hit yesterday, I believe he's eight for twenty in his career against Archie Bradley, which is a, a four hundred batting average. So obviously there's more numbers than just, you know, Arenado's career yeah. against against Archie Bradley in the past. But I, I doubt the, the situation was that, you know, Archie Bradley held Arenado to a one fifty career batting average right. or anything like that, because the, the numbers certainly did not bear that out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I, I think if, if there's going to be an opportunity there has, if there's one fault that, that people have noted for Tori, it's that, you know, he is um, maybe, maybe too loyal. Um, and for the torch to really get passed to someone else, they're going to have to be given those kinds of opportunities. Um, it's so easy to second guess. I mean, if joan Lopez comes in and gives up the hit, you know, it's like, what are you doing? You know, why, why give this to joan Lopez? Like let, you know, right. let, um, you know, you have Archie Bradley, like use Archie Bradley in the spot. So it, it, hindsight's twenty twenty. 20 um, I don't know. But at some point they're going to have to start giving some of these other guys a chance. Um, and it's just not working for Archie. He's, he's having obviously a rough go of it. And to put him back in that spot, I mean, you'd love to see him come in, strike out Arenado and kind of get his swagger back. But yeah, I just I don't know if he's there right now. Yeah, I, I, Archie Bradley at
0: this point in his career has has really just taken a, a big step back. It seems like in in pretty much yeah. every sense. the the fastball command I think is is really what comes to mind first and foremost. He just doesn't seem to have the ability to dock corners like he's like he's done in the past. And uh, something that that you and I talked about what while this moment was happening last night is. The, the Diamondbacks relievers that they have had, who have been good, speaking mainly of, of Yoshi Hirano and, and Archie Bradley from last season, those are guys who are, at the end of the day, just two-pitch pitchers, and they're also right. both guys who, if they put any of those pitches in the wrong spot, their stuff just isn't quite at the level where they can get away with it every time, specifically Yoshi Hirano, who's sitting about 991 with the fastball these days. And you, you, look at, you look at, you know, a two-pitch pitcher, these are, these are guys who, at best, can be good. And we, and we saw that at times last season. Both of these guys were very effective in their roles. But you look at, at some of the relievers around the game today that we consider elite, you know, the, the Josh Haters of the world, those, those kinds of calibers of, of pitchers, the, the Diamondbacks relievers are just nowhere, nowhere even close to that kind of category
1: no the the margin for error is just so thin there I mean for Yoshi he's trying to get to that splitter but if if he can't you know if, if he misses with um you know misses with the fastball it's gonna get hammered I mean it, it doesn't have a lot of movement it's you know doesn't have a lot of heat on it um it, it just doesn't it doesn't work out I mean it's it's such a it's such a fine line between success and failure uh, for a guy like that. There's just there's very little room. Um, you know, and same with Archie. He's, you know, the the curveball can be a sharp one outing and then terrible for the next three, and, and it just makes life really hard on him. You know, and I kind of go back and I think about, you know, we're, we're naming off some of these relievers, right, that, that historically the Diamondbacks have had, you know, whatever their limited success is. I mean, I really just haven't. You know, it's not an area that the team has really invested much money in. Um, and I think for a really long time, you know, uh, analysis really pointed towards like not overpaying for relievers. Don't spend a lot of money on your bullpen. Like it's a bad place to invest money. <laughs> um, outcomes are wild. And, you know, it's it's not a good idea to give relievers huge amounts of money. Well. I think we've kind of moved into an era where we've, we've maybe gotten past that a little bit and we don't need to use that sort of like blanket language, um, to think about all relievers. We can, we can start to get a little more granular, uh, and maybe figure some things out to where, you know, maybe this is an area that the team does need to start investing in and need to invest a little more heavily in because the quality is just not there right now. And for as good as the, the rotation has been for, for much of the season, um, the bullpen has let them down several times and it's, it's, it's getting hard to watch. It's, it's getting frustrating. Um, you know, and if, if for some reason the team gets hot, you know, and ends up, you know, missing out of the wild card by, you know, say a game or two, it's like, it's going to be pretty easy to identify where, you know, those one one and two losses maybe came from.
0: I mentioned the Diamondbacks blow out of the Giants over the weekend in San Francisco, 34 to eight was the, uh, the the score difference there. The Diamondbacks really, really dominated the Giants in that series. But the series did not end in a way that the Diamondbacks would have liked um, in that Luke Weaver was removed from his start on Sunday with the three words that I think every baseball fan really hates to hear about a starting pitcher, right forearm tightness. And that's the news that Luke Weaver received. He has since... Had an MRI, the news from the Diamondbacks is that it is a right forearm strain, is at least what they're calling it so far. Jeff, at, at first look, I thought of that news as being pretty good. It at least doesn't seem to imply that, that Luke Weaver is, is bound for Tommy John's surgery right away. Uh, Tori Lavella also did say that the Diamondbacks are very hopeful he will not require surgery in order to get this issue fixed. I know, however, that, that you know right forearm tightness, there's a, a long storied history with these kinds of injuries. The Diamondbacks were similarly optimistic last season when Taiwan Walker went through a very similar situation. And, of course, he wound up needing to have Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the hope, of course, is that Luke Weaver doesn't have to go down that road. But, uh, unfortunately, you, you look at the history... With with a, a an injury that's diagnosed the way that Weaver's injury was diagnosed, and, and, and the history says this is probably not headed a very good direction.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is which is really heartbreaking for Weaver, um, who really appeared to be kind of you know turning a corner, finding a pitch mix that really was working for him again. Right. Um, and the the team was was obviously reaping the benefits, um, and and he's such a big component of what will forever be, you know, uh, you know, documented as the Paul Goldschmidt trade. So it's really unfortunate. I think that, um, you know, by and large, when we hear that more far more often than not, it ends up leading to Tommy John surgery. Um, hmm. you know, Jeff Passan's book, the arm, um, if folks out there haven't read it, I, I would encourage that there's a large portion of that book dedicated to former Diamondback Daniel Hudson kind of what he went through with Tommy John surgery and, um, you know, it's just a—it's uh, a really, really, you know, difficult reality to accept that that this is pretty normal in baseball now. Um, but with as normal as it is, I actually my my post for uh, Baseball Prospectus on uh, Friday of last week was about all of the guys that underwent Tommy John surgery in 2016 and kind of you know looking back at like 140 Tommy John cases and how they have panned out. And it's you know it's it's all over the map. I mean. Tommy John seems pretty basic today. Um, but it's not necessarily when we look, you know, look into, you know, the whole sample size. So, mm-hmm. um, certainly hoping for the best. I mean, not very many guys have had sort of that UCL injury and been able to, to kind of rehab their way through it. I think, uh, Masahiro Tanaka is a guy that's actually survived, uh, you know, avoided the surgery and has, has went on to have some success. And, um, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ruby De La Rosa was a guy that initially they they started with uh, you know the the platelet rich plasma treatment on his elbow before eventually having to yeah um, you know, he ended up having a, a second Tommy John procedure. So you know even even in the instances where they you know initially tried to go away from it like you know more often than not sometimes you know they end up having to revert back to that. So. It's just really, really heartbreaking for Luke and, you know, uh, hoping for the best and hoping we get good word. Um, But like you said, I mean, um, Taiwan Walker isn't far away from coming back, though. You know, I'd say that's probably it sounds like that's probably still more than a month out. So they're going to have some kind of filling in to do in the meantime, because no matter the the diagnosis is on Weber, he's not pitching anytime soon.
0: Yeah, for for Weaver, it, it, in some ways, this this kind of diagnosis seems to be it, it, it's almost like it's it's not a matter of if you need Tommy John surgery, but but only when you know you know when are, when are we finally going to come to terms with the fact that the that the pitcher needs to just have the surgery and get it over with? Um, I, I think we've we've seen that with with a lot of different pitchers in the past. You mentioned Ruby De La Rosa, where they kind of tried to beat around the bush for a while, um, of course, hoping hoping for for nothing. But the best for Luke Weaver, who is who has been a very effective starter for the Diamondbacks this season, uh, especially given the fact that you know he was really the centerpiece in that trade uh, where, where Paul Goldschmidt became a St. Louis Cardinal. I think if if you know Luke Weaver becomes shelved for the next year and a half, I think that would be a a really really tough hit for this fan yeah. base. So obviously hoping for nothing but the best. There we do have a question kind of relating to this issue from from Joshua Letterman, um, who simply wants to know, being that Luke Weaver is now injured, who is starting this Friday? And this Friday, of course, is the first day where the Diamondbacks kind of have to address this issue of of filling that rotation spot for the time being. And Jeff, the the options are, are not super clear at this point. I think the Diamondbacks could potentially look to go outside the organization if they feel the need to. Um, but in the interim by Friday, as far as we can tell, the Diamondbacks aren't, you know, signing Dallas Keuchel or anything in the next 24 hours. So, uh, Jeff, who do you, who do you think it is going to be on Friday?
1: I think they have a couple of options. It's, it is a little unclear. I, I'm not totally sure what they're going to do. I mean, we just found out that Taylor Clark is going to pitch Thursday. Um, so Friday being kind of the open day, I mean, uh, you know, Zach Godley pitched, um, on the twenty-fourth and three or three innings. Uh, you know, does he get, you know, an, an inning of work or throw a side session and they try to, you know, kind of parlay that into Friday, you know, that's maybe a possibility. Um, and a really similar situation would be turning to John DePlantier, who could be called up now because he's been down for uh, more than the requisite ten days. Um, but his last start was uh, on the twenty fourth as well. So you know, maybe they do a similar thing where you know maybe he instead of you know making his start for Reno, he throws a side session or a bullpen or does something to kind of stay loose, and he just works with a couple extra days rest and, and comes back up and provides that that sort of uh, buffer. Um, I do think they're sort of at a point though, uh, from a rotational depth standpoint, where. Um, John Duplantier might be able to unpack his bags in Phoenix uh, because <laughs> we're, sort of, we're sort of to the point now where we're not looking for like a one-day solution. Um, right. You know, Friday's Friday's issue uh, is going to be a reoccurring one, um, and he's the the team is going to need someone uh, like Duplantier or you know maybe it's moving Godley back into the rotation or something. But they're going to have to come up with something that has some sustainability behind it because they're going to be faced with this every fifth day um you know provided they can't time all of their rainouts uh with that down the calendar <laughs> so they're going to have to figure figure something out and I, I think maybe now's the time for Deplantier to come up and shine I mean uh look he came up early his service clock started uh this isn't like a you know this isn't like a situation where they're going to try to manipulate things I mean they need him and they need him now so um, I I kind of don't see any way around really starting like transition to really giving him like uh, a legitimate sort of like full on audition uh, unless they want to make some move from outside the organization. And uh, I don't really see any reason to do that, um, you know, other than maybe to add a depth piece, but uh, I don't think they're going to get any kind of impact now. I mean, I think the plantier is probably their best bet to, to really provide that lift and, And look, I mean, here's a guy who's capable of probably filling Luke Weaver's shoes. Um, Maybe not quite as well as Weaver had pitched, you know, uh, up to the point of his injury. But with, like, you know, some level of of aptitude and success where where the drop-off isn't super steep. I mean, look, you could put Zach Godley back in rotation and, you know— I don't really have any uh, <laughs> confidence there whatsoever. So, I mean, I think now's the time to give Deplantier his shot. I think Tory Lavelle did mention
0: recently that, that Godley would, would no longer be used in a starting role. Of course, he, he also mentioned that Archie Bradley would no longer be used in high-level right. situations, but Rizal, that panned out. out. Um, but I, I do legitimately think that I, I would be very surprised if the Diamondbacks turn to Zach Godley once again. I think you're right that this is... John Duplantier's moment to shine. I know I, I tweeted out initially that the Diamondbacks would, would probably have to look outside the organization for this, um, mainly just thinking about Duplantier's... Uh, the, the fact that he's that he's not stretched out yet, even at this point in the season. I believe he threw 65 pitches in his last start, which is definitely not quite where you would want him to be for for an everyday starter role. But, you know, you give him another start or two, and, and I think he he probably... Pretty reasonably could come into a pretty decent pitch count. Right. I don't think the Diamondbacks want to be in a situation where their bullpen is being used even more than it has been so far. Because I think, you know, maybe maybe part of the issues with the bullpen has been that it's it's been overworked as it is at, at certain points. But I think the Diamondbacks in the situation that they're in, I think Duplantier is is undoubtedly the, the best option that they have. And, and like you mentioned, I, I think there's actually some excitement to this for some people. Uh, DuPontier has is, is given fans a little sparks here and there of, of what he can do. He's pitched uh, pretty incredibly out of some very impossible situations on the mound. I think I remember a, a bases-loaded no-out situation against the Cubs where, where somehow miraculously worked out of that so this is a guy who, who has some guts uh-huh. and, and, I, and I think people are, are excited to, to see what he can do at the major league level hopefully yeah. in, an, in an every fifth day kind of role we do have a yeah. question or actually yeah go, go ahead Jeff
1: yeah one note on that I mean I think in the sense though that's where um, perhaps Godley and having guys like Godley and Matt Andrees who can go more than an inning um, make you know bringing Deplantier up maybe more feasible yeah. In the sense that, you know, he probably goes another start where uh, the pitch count goes from 65 to 75 and another start where it goes from, you know, 75 to 85 and then maybe you just turn him loose. But in the interim, you have some guys that, you know, if he can only get through four innings or five innings, you know, you, you have a little bit of length there and, um, you know, so, so maybe – even though those those guys aren't the guys that are going to start, maybe they allow Duplantier to start. And so uh, they might actually be in a pretty good position to make that transition, um, even though he's not, you know, maybe as stretched out as they'd like.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, we, we do have a question from Matthew kind of along these lines. He says, what pitchers would we go after if we had to get one now, and who would we go after at the trade deadline? Jeff, my answer to this is is probably that the Diamondbacks are are At least in this particular moment, I don't think they would have the need to go out and get outside help. I originally thought that now that I consider um, the the stage that that Duplantier is in, that he's at least nearing being somewhat stretched out. And like you mentioned, the Diamondbacks have some guys in the bullpen who can can give you some length. I think he's the guy I, I would be pretty surprised, at least myself, to see the Diamondbacks chase after any starting pitchers right now.
1: Yeah, same here. Um, the only the only real options would be, you know, are there any just, like, real buy-low, you know, guys that they can kind of snag, you know, off the cheap that... Right. You, uh, maybe fill a little bit of a void, but, I mean, frankly, that's, that's really not a, of a whole lot of help here. So I, I don't know that I see it, but we do know there are some teams that are probably, like, already willing to sell. I mean, there's some real... Some real teams that really aren't trying to uh, trying to contend this year. So it's a possibility, but I don't think it's happening anytime soon. You know, maybe closer to the deadline if they're still in it. But uh, yeah, no one really jumps to mind because I just don't think that's quite the direction they're going. And it's also so early in the season that it's not like we've heard a bunch of names floated out there of who's available. So right. it would be really hard to say right now.
0: We also have a question from from Justin McDermott, kind of shifting gears quite a bit here. He says, who will the Diamondbacks take in the draft with their first pick?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to leave my ringer on um, just in case. Uh, but I doubt I get the call. Uh, so um, <laughs> it's it's really it, – it's it's such a crap sheet. I mean, we were kind of talking a little bit before we started recording. The, the, the Major League draft is just such a – It's such a dicey proposition. Um, I actually just put a post up today at the rattle. Um, looking back at that, all at all of the top 100 picks the Dimebacks have made from 2006 to 2016, and um, there were 41 picks and you know a couple of hits, but a lot of guys that ended up either being like middle relievers or bench players or guys that just washed out altogether. So, Mm -hmm. um, You know, go go check that out if you haven't already. Uh, It's it's pretty fascinating. You'll see some some names on those lists that you probably haven't heard in quite a long time. Uh, I think all signs you know continue to point to them. um, You know, probably selecting uh, high school outfielder Corbin Carroll. That's the name they've been linked to the most, at least publicly. We know that they've had uh, like the front office brass in to see him. Uh, It's kind of described as like. like alec thomas um from last year's draft with with just a little bit better tools all the way across the board Hmm. um and thomas is is kind of a you know top 15 top 10 ish prospect in the system right now so uh you're looking at a guy that you know carol probably slots in as you know immediately probably a top 10 uh prospect in the system but it's just so hard to say with them drafting 16th i mean um it's unlikely that Carroll goes any later than 16. I think if he gets to the Diamondbacks, they probably take him. But will you know will one of the teams you know picking you know eight or nine Texas or Atlanta will they go that route and try to snag him? Um, does he last all the way to 16? It's hard to tell. And if he you know if he doesn't make it that far, uh, things get really dicey. Like their options after that become really really wild. Um, there are a bunch of like signability. Uh, high school kids that, that they could look into with the with the large bonus pool, maybe going over slot on on a couple of uh, on a you know one of a number of high school guys. Um, so so that's really probably where it goes if, they, if it's not Carol, if Carol doesn't make it that far. So um, I mean that's kind of where where I would bet that they that they go. Um, but you're just really hoping that uh, like the 15 teams in front of you cooperate and you're able to get the guy you want. I think they're going to have to be really (laughs) reactive on draft day. Um, And by all accounts, you know, they've been really prepared. Um, We started hearing, you know, the guys at Fangraphs have been talking a little bit about how the Diamondbacks have had some of their pro scouting staff um, into amateur games to get extra looks on guys. (laughs) They've got, they've like deployed the whole system on this draft. So they're super prepared. Um, and so it'll just be really interesting to see how it plays out, but you know, it's just it's it's really like virtually impossible to say with with hundred percent certainty who they'll draft.
0: We have a bit of a fun question from at Andrew AJT to finish off this seventh edition of the Rattle Podcast. We appreciate you. Uh, sticking with us once again on a, on a bit of a longer episode jeff we we recorded that not longer than about three or four days ago, <laughs> but it seems like so much has happened over the course of well, those things keep days. happening and a lot to unpack. Uh, we were even looking at the Diamondbacks transaction chart and the number of guys they have set up and down from Reno over the last seventy two hours is is pretty unbelievable. Um, but moving on from that the the final question that we have for this show from at Andrew AJT. He says, what's the best way to get a ball at Chase Field? Have you ever gotten one? And how or from who? How difficult is the stadium for ball hawking? And he also wants to know about the minor league affiliates of the Diamondbacks as well. Jeff, I feel it's only appropriate for me to pitch this question over to you because I cannot, unfortunately, speak from personal experience. I have never caught a baseball at any professional sporting event that I am aware of, uh, or at least that I can recall at this particular moment. So I'm not sure if I'm the person that Andrew would want to get his advice from. So Jeff, take it away. Where should fans sit in order to catch the balls at Chase Field?
1: You know, the, the best spot, um, the best spot really is, you know, the goal is, you know, first to, to get in early, right? When the gates open and, um, kind of rush into the stands there in like left center, um, that's really the best place to, to catch a uh, to catch a like a BP home run ball. So so that's where I would direct people. The hard part is that by the time the gates open, the Diamondbacks are either done or almost completely done with their batting practice. Hmm. So it gets really really difficult. Like if you want to catch one from the opposing team, like go ahead. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to catch one from the Diamondbacks, uh, you might actually need to go to a to a road game. Um, in which case, I, I don't really know where you should. Where you should locate yourself. But, um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best place at Chase Field, and it's, it's fun. You'll get there. There'll be a bunch of people there with gloves and, you know, uh, looking to catch balls. So uh, that's, that's really the spot to kind of post up. And, you know, thinking of the affiliates, um, you know, I, I do – I attend a lot of games in Hillsborough every year. Um, they have a nice outfield berm where you can have a nice picnic, uh, but it is more of a pitcher's park. And in, you know, kind of, you know, short season of rookie ball, uh, there aren't a ton of home runs hit, um, but that that's probably the best place to get one. And then um, I was just recently in Visalia uh, checking out the Rawhide, and I'll have some, some, some stuff uh, coming for that. And I'd say the best place to get a ball there is not to go to the outfield, but instead to go to the parking lot uh, behind the stadium <laughs> because uh, – There were a lot of balls uh, fouled off and hit directly into the uh, parking lot and the subsequent street behind the stadium. So (laughs) if you find yourself in Visalia, California, uh, that's probably the place to try to get a ball. I don't think there's any outfield seating. So uh, if anything goes out, it's going into the opposing bullpen or it's well out of reach. So – Those would be my tips. Uh, So, yeah, uh, you know, bring your glove and and stay ready, stay loose. Uh, You know, maybe stretch a little bit before and um, just don't run over any little kids trying to get those balls.
0: (laughs) Oh, big thank you to Joshua Lefferman, Justin McDermott, Matthew, and at Andrew AJT for submitting all of the questions that we got to answer in today's show. Be sure to submit your questions. Question For the next episode of The Rattle Podcast, you can find us on Twitter, at the Rattle AZ I also want to give a somewhat obligatory shout-out to my good friend Bryce Ronkeo who is the man who brought to my attention the Barry Bonds moment that we talked about at the very beginning of the show. So shout-out, or excuse me, shout-out to Bryce uh, for bringing that to my attention. That was kind of a fun tidbit, a good thing to lead off with uh, here in our seventh episode of The Rattle Podcast. For Jeff Weiser... I'm Jesse Friedman, thank you so much once again for joining us here on the Rattle Podcast, and we'll be back next week with more on the Arizona Diamondbacks.